It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, O. On today's episode of the Share Podcast, I tell my story, where I take you through 10 years of alcoholism and drug abuse. I started out drinking and smoking pot in high school as a weekend warrior and later graduated to smoking weed, snorting coke, popping pills, and drinking whiskey daily. During my years of using, I was shoplifting, stealing from my employers, and selling drugs. When I finally hit rock bottom, I lost my wife, my friends, and almost lost my life. It wasn't until my daughter was born that I was finally able to find recovery. The format today will be different. For starters, my sponsee, Robert V, from episode four, The Attorney, opens up for me as I share my experience, strength, and hope on my 12-year anniversary meeting. And to close out the interview, Sophie G from episode one, Street Rules, asks me questions for the newcomers. It's an episode you don't want to miss, so join us now. After this interview, if you enjoyed listening to the Share Podcast, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. This will ensure we get ranked well on these networks, and that means more people will easily find the Share Podcast. This is the best way to show your support and help us grow. I'd also like to add you to our Facebook recovery group. To find the group, type in Recovery from Addiction Stories, and the Share Podcast group pops right up. Now back to the show. Hi, my name's Robert. I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to the Share Podcast. Today we have a little change. I just introduce you, O has been my sponsor for a little bit, close to four years now. When he started with this project, I was very excited because he had brought a new way to do service. He's got an amazing story. He's got amazing basis for recovery, and he's got this huge enthusiasm to help others, which is exactly what he did. However, I think he started at the end instead of at the beginning, and the beginning was to tell us all who he is, why he's doing it, and what he has offered to all of us. So welcome. That's what we're here for tonight. Uh, This is not about me. Actually, it never is. Uh, But this time it's about O. So I'm going to turn it over to O and uh, ask him to please tell us his story and his life and why we're sitting here. My name is Omar, I'm an alcoholic. I had 12 years on 26. I'm grateful to celebrate 12 years of continuous sobriety. I am grateful to have my family surrounding me and all this love. And I just, I like to start out with saying that I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have a relationship with my higher power. With that being said, when I was younger, I was raised in a very religious, restrictive upbringing. My mother's a Jehovah's Witness. So I grew up with a very punishing God. I had a lot of fear of God. God is watching you. Basically, as I grew up, God was watching me. So when I was in the bathroom, God was watching me. When I was doing things that no one in here should ever see in their lives, God was watching me. All right? So that's how I grew up. You can't celebrate birthdays. You can't celebrate Christmas. You can't have with, hang out with people outside the fellowship. That's how I grew up. That's how my life was. So when I was 16 years old, and for you guys out there that are 16 years old, my mind would not stop having impure thoughts. Okay, when I was in school, the only thing I thought about I was this. I still have. Okay, I'm good. the only person I will allow interjection and crosstalk is from my sponsor. 
but she does so on a regular basis anyway. So there I am with these unpure, unclean thoughts going, I'm going to hell, all right? I mean, this is it. So I told my mom, I want out. I want out of this religion. This is not for me. And so as soon as I got the green light to go out, I was like, well, I'm going to hell anyway. So I'm going out with a bang. All right, I'm going to party like it's 1999. I turned into Prince overnight. <laughs> so at 16 years old, I get my first girlfriend. I get laid for the first time. I'm sneaking out of my parents' house. All right, that's how I'm doing this. I'm not asking for permission. I'm just sneaking out of the house. Now, I'm sneaking out and coming back, sneaking out and coming back. I'm getting away with it. I'm addicted to everything. Anything that feels good, I'm addicted to it. I want more of it. And me getting away with stuff, that was high. I was like, I got away with it again. And so that went on for a while. And then I went to my first party and I got drunk. And that was it. I finally, all these years of being this kid who was apart from, different from, this weird kid that didn't hang out with the other kids because of the religion. All of a sudden, I am part of, I am accepted, and I feel good. So another beer is going to make me feel better. So six beers later, I'm wasted, I'm drunk. I go home, my parents are furious, I get grounded. No problem, I'll just sneak out of the house. So this went on throughout high school. I would just sneak out of the house. It's like, problem solved, I don't care. What are you going to do to me? You're going to put me in jail? You know, there's nothing worse that can already happen to me because all the rules are gone. 19 years old. I smoked pot for the first time. And then again, that feeling, that wonderful feeling of being a part of, all my friends are doing it, so I'm accepted. I'm no longer being criticized for what I feel or what I want to do or how I want to behave. I am now socially acceptable, which is what I wanted. There are some terms that I learned growing up. One of them was, I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll have sex, but I won't drink. Then when I drink, I drink, but I won't do drugs. Then when I do drugs, I'll do drugs, but I won't sell drugs. <laughs> well, no sooner do I say those words or think those words come out of my mouth, I'm selling pot. <laughs> All right? There are no rules. Remember, I walked away from God. God does not exist. The only consequences that I have in my life are ones that if I get caught by the police. So if I don't get caught by the police, then I'm okay. This was the rule of my life. I grew up watching movies like Scarface and Goodfellas and Casino. My role models were Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. I wanted to be like those guys. Yeah. All right? Above the law. I was above the law. Those rules don't apply to me. I was a weekend drinker. I was a weekend warrior. I would go out on Friday night. I would drink all the way until Sunday like a rock star. And then I would like start the week over again and go back to work. And somehow I managed to keep that string going. And I didn't see any real consequences. So again, I'm getting away with stuff. I worked at a grocery store. I used to rip them off blind. I used to walk out with 1.75 liter bottles of vodka and Bacardi and whatever until I got caught, all right, and fired for stealing. But they didn't press charges. They just said, listen, if you just go away, we won't press charges. Just quit. Okay. Now, for some people, that might be a wake-up call. For me, it was a license to steal. I have proven that I am above the law, that I can get away with things, that I can do whatever I want, and the consequences are minimal. So the risk is worth the reward, up until I got my DUI. Then I get a DUI, end up in jail, wake up with nine guys in one cell and one toilet. That is not something I ever had to repeat again, and I swore I would never go to jail again. 
And by the grace of God, I never did. But it was the most horrifying experience of my life. So I get out of jail. I got to go to DUI school. I got to go to AA meetings. I got to pay a ridiculous fine. I got my license suspended for six months. So I went to my first AA meeting, walked in, heard a bunch of people sharing, thought, what a bunch of losers. All right, what a bunch of pathetic losers. So I sat there for an entire hour, rolling my eyes. And then after the meeting, I go up to the guy and I said, okay, so who's in charge here? Nobody's in charge here. When you get here, just have the person who chairs a meeting sign this card off for you. Anybody can sign this? There's no like stamp. There's no like seal or something. No, whoever's here can sign it. Excellent. Great. Thank you so much. I walked out of there, went home, grabbed three pens, filled out the entire card. Done. Check. 14 meetings under my belt. And that was the last meeting I would go to for quite some time. Uh, (laughs) And so I'm not driving anymore under the influence. Now, all of a sudden, I'm behaving myself because I'm afraid of going to jail. That's it. Then I moved to Costa Rica. All bets are off. (laughs) All bets are off. That was in the States. I have a record in the States. Here, I don't have a record. I moved down here and I met just the most ridiculous group of people you would ever imagine. The Americans down here are six-year-olds that run around with a bunch of fucking money. And I was like, oh my God, it's like Disneyland for grown-ups. This is the best place ever. I had a girlfriend in the States that I was like promised to. And I just walked away from her. Fell in love with a 20-year-old Costa Rican girl who I ended up marrying. Forgot about I had a girlfriend in the States. I called her up 30 days after I was here. I said, listen, I don't know how to say this except to say this. But I'm moving on, right? Like, I'm moving on, right? And it's like, what do you mean you're moving on? Right? She calls my sister. Right? I get a call from my sister. She's like, hey, just got a call from Patricia. I go, oh, um, yeah, it's not working out. She's like, it's not working out. What is wrong with you? And for the next few years, I would get a lot of people calling me and asking me, what is wrong with you? I drop her like a hot potato. I pick up a cocaine habit that just would not let go of me. All right, It was like that scene in Pulp Fiction when Uma Thurman's in the bathroom and she hits that line of coke and she's like, God damn, right? And that was me. I was here a week in Costa Rica and I did my first line of coke and I was it. I was hooked. I was addicted from go. And all of a sudden I am doing drugs every single day. And the next term I learn is, I'm in. Hey, oh, you want some X? I'm in. Hey, oh, you want some weed? I'm in. Hey, oh, you want some weed? You want some Coke? You want this? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. The other term was, are you holding? (laughs) You holding? That was the other. Those are two terms. That's the only thing I needed to know, all right, once I moved to Costa Rica, is I'm in and are you holding? In the meantime, I meet the woman that I fall in love with a week after I moved here that I end up marrying. I don't know what she was thinking. She married this demon seed. When I started using cocaine, I transformed into this animal. I just, that's the best way I can describe it, okay? If I didn't have any conscience back before I moved here, now I was completely devoid of any spirituality whatsoever. I was completely disconnected. I was self-will run right. Every single character defect that was available on that list just popped out, and that's who I became. And... A couple of stories. Has anybody heard me in the underwear story? Me driving around? Okay. 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 So, so here are the things. This is how the progression happens. These things didn't happen to me when I was in L.A. I only got a DUI in the States. 
Over here, I'm showing up at bars wasted when there is a wet t-shirt contest and I'm the one on the stage. (laughs) Nobody wants to see me up there in a wet t-shirt, but I'm pouring water all over myself. All right? I go on a four-day run where I haven't eaten anything, where I've been doing too much stuff for four days, and I want to start a new religion. I call my future father-in-law, and I'm like, listen, I've been reading the Bible at this hotel I'm staying at, and I've got this great idea for a new religion. I'd like to sit down and talk with you. He calls my fiance, he's like, there's something wrong with O. I think you need to go find him and stop him from what he's doing. No sooner than that is I take a hostage with me in my car, all right, I've watched Enemy of the State, okay, the movie where they had little bugs all over the guy's clothing, and he, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, I'm like, they're after me. They're coming to get me. And I start taking my clothes off because there's bugs inside my clothes. And I'm driving towards Cartago, and I'm taking all my clothes off, and I got this girl in me in the car, and she's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I'm like, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I have everything under control. <laughs> Let me out of the car. Let me out of the car. She's got no shoes on. All right? She just gets out of the car, and I'm going, (laughs) whatever. I'm in my underwear, all right, driving towards Cartago, and I'm wearing a $1,000 Movado watch my wife gave me for my birthday. I'm like, I knew it's in there. (laughs) Watch out the window. I get to Cartago, and the shit starts to come down. And all of a sudden, I'm standing at the stoplight. Then Cartago, there ain't nothing in Cartago. <laughs> I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I'm looking around me. There's nobody chasing me. My watch. Shit. I go back. I'm going to try and look for my watch. I can't get out of the car. I got no clothes on. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like if you're wondering what happens in the course of the progression of this disease... That's just three stories. (laughs) It's a whole lot worse than that. Finally, at the tail end of it all, every day was a lie. Every day was disgusting. My partners kicked me out of the business. My wife kicks me out of the house. All I could do was just cause wreckage and devastation in my life. I get one shot at this. I go to a therapist. He tells me, I can't help you. You need to go to AA meetings. I said, no, you're going to fix me. I'm going to pay you. I'm not going to any crazy NAA meetings. Eight months later, I'm knocking on his door going, I need help. Can you tell me where those meetings are? He goes, I'm so glad you're back. And I walked into my first meeting, October 5th, 2002. I walked into my first meeting in the Anchor Club, downtown San Jose. Five weird old guys I had nothing in common with. And they start sharing and the voice of God appeared. Every word that came out of their mouth, I identified with. And in that moment and in that hour, through all the desperation that I had felt up until this moment, I finally felt hope for the first time in a very long time. The night before I went there, I had prayed for God to take me out of this world. I had prayed for death. And I had taken a handful of volume and a bottle of whiskey and a bunch of weed and went to bed and prayed for death. That was the night before my first meeting. And since then, I've been coming to meetings ever since. I'm not saying I stayed sober. Obviously, my clean date is not October 5th, 2002. Five months later, I would relapse, right? But the most important thing to remember is that in that moment, I had a spiritual awakening. All these years, I had turned my back on God. And I prayed for death to a power greater than myself that I didn't know who that was. And when I woke up, that message was, go to a meeting. 
So for those of you that are suffering from this malady and you wish for death, the message in the morning is go to a meeting, reach out, get help. The next 10 years of my life were the best years of, that I could ever imagine. My first, well, let's just the start. The first year sucked. All right. First year in recovery, don't let anybody tell you it's a walk in the park. All right. I can't go to bars. I can't go to clubs. I can't hang out with my old friends. I got to hang out with these weird old guys. All right. They got to tell me what to do. I got to take suggestions from them. And this is going to save my life. You know, and I remember I was brand new in the fellowship and I met Alex for the first time. Alex had 14 years at the time. Somebody asked me this the other day, how do you get 12 years? And I remember asking him the same question. How do you get 14 years? I got like 14 days. Like, how do you do that? I was like, is that real? Like 14 yeah. real years? Like, is, uh, that, is that like all together? Is that like all cheating in between or vacations? I promise you, I don't have any desire to drink or use. My life is better than it's ever been. My life is a miracle today. And I promise you, so will yours if you follow these suggestions. So Alex wasn't my sponsor at the time, but the sponsor that I had at that time said, are you willing to go to any length? And I said, yes. He said, do you know what that means? I said, no. Are you willing to let God into your life? I said, yes. Just like that. All the years of whatever my mindset was about God was done. I'm willing to do whatever it is that you tell me to do because I am no longer, I wish for death. You're going to go to meetings every day. You're going to start working steps. You're going to get on your knees every morning and ask God for one day clean. You're going to come home every night and thank God for another day clean. You're going to stay away from people, places, and things that are going to encourage you to use or drink. These are non-negotiable suggestions. (laughs) You can do whatever you want. These are just suggestions. As long as you're in my house, you're following my rules. So you're going to need to get another sponsor if you're not willing to do that. At the same time my daughter was born, I held this girl, this little tiny little baby in my hand when she was born, and I started to cry. I'm in the hospital, I'm holding her for the first time, I was afraid I was gonna drop her, because I dropped everything, broke everything, lost everything. And there I was holding this little tiny baby in my hands, and I'm like, I just said, God help me. And I don't want this little girl to have a drug addict for a father. So please, help me get clean. At the same time, my now (laughs) ex-wife tells me, you're going to get here every single day, and you're going to walk her, you're going to change her, you're going to feed her, you're going to take care of her every morning. That's what you're going to do. All right? Or I will take her from you. Okay. Humility took over. I was desperate. I was dead. So this person was just somebody that's willing to do anything to not lose his daughter. Because she was the only thing that I had left in my life. Five years go by. I worked these steps. Four years to work the steps in the NA Fellowship. That is a long ass, like four years of my life. All right? But I tell you, it changed my life forever. That fourth step and that ninth step changed my life forever. My father died when I was five years in sobriety. I could not have done it without this program, without this fellowship. I reached out because I wanted to get high every day. I wanted to drink every day. And I reached out and I called my sponsor. I go, God, help me. He says, that's right. That's exactly what you say. God, help me. Now get to a meeting. I went to meetings every day. I shared about it. I got through it. Another spiritual awakening. No matter what, I don't have to get high. I don't have to use. I don't have to drink. No matter what is going on. Five years from there, I mean, my beautiful wife, 10 years into recovery. So much had changed in my life. 
working the steps, working the program, being of service, going to meetings. I am 12 years sober today because I have never missed more than a week of going to a meeting. God help me, I never went a month without going to a meeting. This fellowship saved my life, and I give back now. That's my job. That's my obligation. And so I'm reaping all the benefits. All the promises have come true for me. My sponsor asked me if I could choose a God of my understanding, what would he be? What characteristics he would have? And I said, he'd be loving. He'd be forgiving. He'd be generous. He'd be kind. He'd be loving. He'd be all powerful. He'd have my back. He looked at me from across the table. He said, that's your God. That's your high power. I said, what? That's your God, that's your higher power. That's how we do things in this fellowship. This is a spiritual program, not a religious one. That's your God. In that instant, I had a God in my life, and it's been that way ever since. Recently, I got this note from my daughter. Dad, you're the best dad I could ever have, and I love you with all my heart. I like the weekends that I am with you, because I have lots of fun. I like that you are funny, and even though you say a lot of bad words... And she puts parentheses around a lot. (laughs) I still love you and would never change you for anything in the world. I am thankful for all the hard work that you do and give to me the best that you can. And I know that it's sometimes very difficult, but somehow you always get to give me the best. And I thank you for all you do for me, for always being there for me and teaching me many things. I love and I wish you a Merry Christmas. I prayed for death. I wanted to die. I didn't want to be here anymore. She saved my life. And 11 years later, I get this. This is what recovery delivers. These wonderful gifts. And now I have this, this podcast where I'm putting out messages and sharing stories from people. And I recently got an email from a lady who says, Oh, thank you so much for your podcast. My daughter is 20 years old and a heroin addict. She's been relapsing chronically for two years. This podcast has helped me more than you can imagine get through this tough time. For me, every question is answered with God. HP, baby, thank you, God. Thank you for letting me share. Wow, O, thanks for sharing your story with us. What an amazing story and absolutely inspirational for all our newcomers. My name's Sophie G, and I'm an addict. Today I get to interview O and ask him all the questions he asked me on my interview. You ready, O? Absolutely. Excellent. So tell us about how your life is today, your hobbies, what you do for a living. Take us into your normal daily routine, including recovery. All right, Sophie, thank you so much for the introduction, and I'm excited that you're the one interviewing me today. Listeners, Sophie G is my very first interviewee. She was Street Rules. You guys, if you haven't heard this interview, check it out. So what does my daily routine look like anyway? Well, my daily routine or weekly routine is three days out of the week, I get up at five o'clock in the morning to get to the gym by six. On Mondays and Fridays, I try and get to the 8 o'clock AA meeting at the Zoo Group in Guachipilin, Escazú. After that, I get to the office, I write down my to-do list, I have two to-do lists, 
One to-do list is for the podcast. The other to-do list is for work. My online business, the one that pays the bills, that one takes priority. So I usually try and tackle all those responsibilities first. And then once I've got everything under control for the day, I jump into the podcast. So I stay very, very busy. On Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, I like to have breakfast with my wife. And I try and keep those as religious as possible. And then after work, I will either hit a meeting. Usually Tuesdays and Thursdays, I like to hit the men's meeting, the NA, Vigilance Group Meeting in La Sabana. And then on the nights that I don't go to a meeting, I'm either working with a sponsee or I'm spending quality time with my wife. And Saturdays, that is absolutely sacred. I spend that with my family, with my daughter, with my wife, with my mom. Nothing else gets involved in there, not recovery, not business, nothing just my family. Um, And then on Sundays, I come into the office because it's pretty quiet. And those are the days I typically like to schedule my interviews because people are relatively more relaxed on Sundays. Those are usually the days they have off. So it's typically the day that's been working best for me to do interviews. So I'm very, very busy all week long, but I create a routine that keeps balance between working out, my family, recovery, the podcast, and work. It's very important to have a routine because if not, if I don't create a schedule for myself, then what will happen is certain areas of my life will take priority. And most of the time, it'll be either work or the podcast. So I have to always be conscious that I need to be considerate with my family and considerate with the meetings. So that's what my daily and weekly routine typically looks like. Cool, and thanks for the plug (laughs) on my show, on the episode. All right, so, and now, for the newcomer, I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery, and you're going to respond with inspiring and insightful answers you can share with our newcomers. You ready? Absolutely. All right. Uh, What was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? What was keeping me from getting clean and staying clean when I first got introduced to recovery? It was my ego, of course. I really didn't think I had a problem. The first time I went to an AA meeting was when I was forced to go to it when I got my DUI. So I got a DUI and I had to go to 14 AA meetings. And I was listening to everyone share their experience, strength, and hope. And I thought, what a bunch of ridiculous losers. I can't believe They're just sharing their stories here openly for everyone to hear. What a bunch of crybabies. And I left that meeting so completely disconnected from it that I never went back to another AA meeting for a very long time. Fast forward to when I hit rock bottom with the cocaine and the booze and the weed and the pills, I could no longer deny it. As a matter of fact, When I went into my first meeting of Narcotics Anonymous on October 5th, 2002, I knew I was an addict. I knew I was defeated, and I knew that here I could recover. So yeah, for many years, I was completely in denial that I was a drug addict and that I had a problem. But once it clicked, boom, I was done. All right. At what point... Did you have a spiritual awakening and that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? My aha moment, man, there are so many God shots and aha moments throughout my recovery. That day, that one where I talk about going to my first Narcotics Anonymous meeting, 
on October 5th, 2002, I didn't really identify it so much as a spiritual awakening because I was so completely out of my mind. You know, just the day before, I was getting loaded. So this was my first day. I hadn't had, I didn't have 24 hours sober yet. But in that meeting, as I was listening to everyone share their experience, strength, and hope, I felt hope for the first time. And I was like, man, I can't wait to come back tomorrow. And this went on for almost five months. I went to meetings every single day. And then I relapsed and I had a really tough time getting back into the fellowship because my ego was so defeated. Like many of us, we're such perfectionists. If we don't do it right the first time, then we quit. We give up. And it did cross my mind. You know, and, oh man, I had five months and now I relapsed and I got to start all over again. Bottom line is that once I got reintegrated back into the program, I started going to meetings again every single day. I got a new sponsor. But this time I was off of that initial pink cloud that I was on when I first came in. And so it was a battle for me. And every single day I wanted to get high. I would go to my sponsors like, dude, like every day I'm getting urges to use. He was like, get on your knees every day and ask God to help you stay clean just for today. And when you get home that night, you get back on your knees and you thank God for another day clean and sober. I did that every single day for six months. And then one day I recognized or I realized that something was wrong. Something was off. And I realized that I hadn't gotten on my knees and prayed for four days. It was like three or four days. And then all of a sudden, the God shot came in. That aha moment. I go, I didn't have an urge to use. I haven't had an urge to use in days. That's why I forgot to pray. And I just remember bursting into tears. I did a lot of crying in my first year. And that particular moment, I was like, oh my God, I could do this. That was one of so many wonderful aha moments and spiritual awakenings in my recovery. Those aha moments, those are life-saving tools for sure. No doubt. Well, to add to that, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to a newcomer that you can read in early recovery? So the best, the books that I would recommend, what got me clean and sober was the basic text of Narcotics Anonymous. My sponsor, the first thing he told me when we started working together is he's like, listen, rule number one, you better take every suggestion I give you or you need to find another sponsor. And the first suggestion is you need to make 90 meetings in 90 days. The second one is buy the literature and we're going to start working the steps. So I bought the literature. I got the basic text. And he said, this is one of those books that you're going to write on, you're going to underline, you're going to highlight. It's going to get dirty. You're going you're gonna to fold the pages over. You're going to dog ear it. This thing is going to be manhandled by the time we get through this thing. And it was the most amazing journey. Just in that time frame of me going through those first hundred or so pages of the basic text with my sponsor, I think it was like 108 pages before they get into the stories. And I just... It was funny because once I started underlining, it felt like I was underlining and highlighting everything because I found myself 
in that book, in that basic text, I found myself. I was reading about me and my addiction and how it had controlled my life. And in there, it tells you, if you can recognize parts of yourself in this book, then do yourself a favor and finish it. You can recover. And the other book that has nothing to do with recovery, but was a game changer for me, was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It was my first success book. And it's still, of all the books I've read, it's one that I will listen to, because I listen to audiobooks. I will either reread it or listen to it again. It's one of my absolute favorite books. Perfect. What is the best suggestion you have ever received? The best suggestion that I ever got was stick with the winners. Surround yourself with people in recovery that have a strong program and you will recover. I didn't realize how powerful that was until many years later. I just followed his suggestions. Many years later, I heard this quote by Jim Rohn that I love. And you are the average of the five people that you hang around with the most. So be careful with your circle of influence. If you hang around with five people that have a strong program in recovery, you'll be the sixth. If you hang around with five millionaires, you'll be the sixth. If you hang around with a bunch of newcomers that aren't taking the program seriously and relapse, you'll be the sixth. Your circle of influence is so important. I've heard this one saying that they say, stay in the middle of the boat or stay in the middle of the herd. That gazelle that's in the middle of the herd couldn't be safer from the lions on the exterior because he's safe, tucked away in the middle of the herd, surrounded by strong gazelles all around them. So surround yourself with recovery. That was the best suggestion that I got. I know that is true about you, and you tell me that all the time, and I try to follow it. <laughs> all right, if uh, you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would it be? For me, the best suggestion that I could give someone is be 100% committed. Half measures availed us nothing. You can't just go to meetings and get recovery by osmosis. You can't get recovery by listening to other people's stories. So you have to be 100% committed. If you go to a meeting like I did when I was 25 years old and told to go by the courts, and I walked into a meeting and I was like, what a bunch of horse shit. I can't buy any of this. I walked out. I was supposed to go to 14. I made one. And I never went back again because I wasn't ready. I wasn't 100% committed. But when I came back years later, and walked into that room of Narcotics Anonymous, I knew I was defeated. And so the suggestions they gave that they told me, I didn't take them as suggestions. I chose to follow those as the blueprint to my recovery. I got a sponsor. I got the literature. I started working steps. I stayed away from people, places, and things that could provoke me or entice me to do drugs again. I started praying. I got on my knees every morning and Ask God to help me stay clean one more day. I was 100% committed to recovery, to working the steps, to being vigilant, to going to meetings, to surrounding myself with people in recovery who had a strong program, and then ultimately giving back. Because that's what happens. Once you get 100% committed to this, you will get a life beyond your wildest dreams like I have. And then like me, call it whatever you want. But for me, 
It's an obligation to carry the message to the addict that still suffers. For the rest of my life, just for today, I will carry the message of recovery to the addict still suffering. Great suggestions, oh, and a great show. And before we say goodbye, I have one more question for you. Of all the meetings you have attended anywhere in the world, which group is your favorite, and where is this group located? Um, I have two. One is the Vigilance Group in La Savannah, and it uh, meets at 7 o'clock. The one that's my favorite are the Tuesday nights and the Thursday night men's meetings, um, and that's the Vigilance Club in Savannah Sur. And, of course, the AA meeting in Huachipalina Kazoo, which is the zoo group uh, that meets uh, 8 o'clock in the mornings during the week, 9 a.m. on Saturdays. It's an awesome meeting. Those are great meetings. We have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida, Sophie. Pura Vida, oh. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.